Welcome to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Join me in welcoming my guests as we'll discuss the ins and outs of the healthcare landscape and examine what is really happening inside big healthcare. Let's jump into the second half of our conversation with licensed psychotherapist, Jason Eric Ross. In episode number 25, we discuss Jason's clinical approach to overcoming addiction, neurological responses, and effective parenting plans. Today, in episode number 26, and only on Healthcare 360, we will round out that conversation to include a touch on developmental milestones, emotional intelligence, and psychotropics. Jason will also connect us to what he learned to provide a new look on the stigma of seeking professional help. We're glad you're here to join us, only on Healthcare 360. What would you say is the number one word that holds people back? be hard to say it's anything other than fear. But I'll, I'll give you one other. Yeah. Although it's related, clearly, mm-hmm. shame. Okay. So, that, again, going back to the earlier part of the discussion, shame because of some kind of family or traumatic, yeah. something that happened. Their they past. create shame on it. That shame then forms into fear. Their fear then morphs into a mindset, and now they're blocked out. And that's how they lead their lives. There was a great comedian – who been the program, Mike DiStefano, died young, unfortunately, but he was clean when he did. I got to watch this guy. I got to perform with him once. He had this great joke. He said he went into like one of the, you know, the high-end department stores. The woman was trying to, the cosmetics was trying to sell him like soap, this really expensive soap. It was like 120 something bucks. And he says, does it get rid of shame? <laughs> get rid of shame? This is, this is good soap. This is good stuff. So, I, shame is is the is probably even the bigger one, and it, but it's related to fear, and people get stuck. We're always talking about people being stuck, right? Yeah, everybody's stuck. This person's stuck, so they don't grow. They don't they don't reach their potential. You know, life. There's a developmental chart. You're supposed to grow throughout your lifespan. Yeah, but our development's being capped for some people. Some people have a you know a growth mindset. And some people living it, you know, living their lives in fear. You know what I found the most, this kind of intriguing about that whole healer experience. I had similar experiences what he was talking about. I went back and I said, okay, so how, what do I do? What do I do on the outside? What can I keep this thing going? And he looked at me, he goes, how do you know you need to keep it going? And I was like, great question. Oh, I see what you're doing there. I really didn't know what he was doing there. <laughs> but as he sent me some more articles and things, I was like, oh. So how we described it as a functional neuropath was, look, we're going to help your body and assist your body to rewire itself on how it's been dewired in an atypical way. And it should have been wired that way because of certain traumas and everything else that happened. Mm-hmm. Is that all accurate? Yeah. Or, yeah. There's a, a response to trauma. Mm-hmm. There's even articles, I just saw one last week, of how it, like, it's almost embedded in your genes. Really? You know, when they get a release of it, when they get whatever it takes that they get rid of the shame, the pain, the secrets, the sadness, the anger, the anguish, they get change and they, they can, you know, let go. People will always say, well, I don't, I don't need to talk about my past because it already happened. Sure. And it's like, no, you're carrying around with you all the time until you actually do enough work on it to let it go. How you do that work, very open-ended approach. Yeah. I think with trauma, you have to be careful that therapeutically it's appropriate. I think, you know, some people take risks with that that I don't agree with. But if someone does it in a safe manner, appropriate, they're going to let some of that stuff go. Again, cathartic, you're not going to drag it around. It's a huge weight. They say in the recovery circles, you know, drop the rock. You know, you got to let the stuff go. 
um, you're doomed to now that, repeat so that, That's what's really hard, though, because if you think about that, you're talking from one person who knows the feeling and experience of dropping the rock. I have the feeling now about what it feels like to drop the rock. Mm-hmm. But for someone who doesn't know what that feels like, it's really hard. Sure. You, it's like, oh, well, what do you mean drop the rock? I did. And, but they, don't, they didn't drop the rock. No, they're still holding on to all the feelings yeah. and, and, you know, the anger and the res- and the resentment. So, therapeutically getting them through that. So, the challenge I, I get is, well, I don't need to talk about it. Okay, well, if you know what you're doing, why are we sitting here? I didn't show up at your door one day and say, hey, you need therapy? Like, you know, we don't do that. <laughs> you know, we just, we don't, we don't pitch that way. Uh, therapists get a lot of, you know, flack for not being great business people, but we, we don't do that. It's probably a good thing. You have to battle it out sometimes with the therapist even until yeah. you get to where you get a little bit more willingness to go, all right, maybe I don't exactly know what I'm doing. Mm. You know, I'm not out giving stock tips. I dated a stockbroker for a couple of years and I learned nothing about stock market. <laughs> so, I don't feel it's an area of expertise. Right, right. But when it comes to the, you know, the personal development, therapeutically, I, I've got a, quite a bit of experience obviously growing up the way I did and with, you know, at institutes in my family where people were studying and I ended up studying. People have to hit that wall bottom, whatever you want to call it, where they start to become a little more willing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you stay stuck. You look stay at, stuck. Look how many people are stuck. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, this is, I'm trying, I'm not going to date myself here, but it, it had been about two months ago. So, I asked one of my good friends, I said, hey, so why do you think there's so many different podcasts out there or books or people writing about mindset? And again, my mindset, I was a confident guy. I didn't know I had some baggage. I had no idea. I do now. And I'm sitting there in my head, I'm like, just wake up and kick ass every day, man, right? Just if you can't figure something out, teach yourself how to do it, you know? Just, just go about it. If you get scared about something, ask a lot of questions. It's not that difficult. The way he explained it to me slowed me down. He says, people are just afraid, man. They don't know, or if they do know, they use it as a crutch as an excuse. How do you stop that? This do you is, need to get a good crying and have like kumbaya or something? Or do you? You, you might. <laughs> you right? might. Yeah. Get a ukulele and we'll, we start. <laughs> get a campfire quick. Right. <laughs> this is where people have to understand. There's probably a video. There's probably a podcast. There's probably a post on how to do everything. Mm. Everything. I think lots of people actually know what to do. There's a glut of information. If you take the idea that they know what to do, why the hell aren't they doing it? Okay. And so that's, you probably asked this question before, I would imagine. In some regard. I mean, this is what people come to me. They, you know, they have all these plans and they, you know, they say, oh, I want to be a writer. <clears throat> have you been doing any writing? No. Well, then you're not going to be a writer. Right. <laughs> and, if, and when you dig in, what you're going to find is, well, my, my parents didn't approve of it, let's say. There is an issue in the past that's actually getting in the way of the thing you say you so want to do. That's where people get stuck. You know what I've found so far in this conversation? It goes back to your first three lines, family origins, trauma of history, shame, learning secrets. It's come up on how many times? It's always going to be a threat. People don't want to really look at that. They don't. And that's one of the, I think the things that people have, there's a, you know, the bias against therapy is that people say you probably need to do that. If you don't need to do that, then everybody should have figured everything out already. So, I guess my question would be then, why isn't there more education or at least more discussion around the importance of the first three years or five years of life in that interaction, that bond and 
Because that's really where everything is stemming from right now. Look, there's a million and one parenting books. And there's parenting books and then there's instinct. Right. And again, it's only relative to willingness, which is still mindset. Think about as an average for parents, teachers complain that the parents are complaining about them, but not looking at the child who's misbehaving. Well, it's because your homework's too hard. So, who's taking responsibility? Mm. Unfortunately, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, parents need to take responsibility for their behavior. They need to take responsibility for parenting their children. The parent has to do that first. The information's all here, but nobody wants to listen. They don't want to hear it. No one wants right. to hear it. They don't I know what no, they're doing. I have no time, right? Yeah, I, have no I, have time. I know what I'm, yeah. I know what I'm doing. Thanks, doc. Right, yeah, right, right. They end up in my office at some point. Yeah. Emotional intelligence is a really amazing thing. If you have arrogance, you have a real problem on your hands. Yes. Right. Emotional and intelligence has been a buzzword for a few years at least. It, it's gotten bigger. Yeah. You know, Goldman wrote the original book possibly 20 years ago. Yep. Everybody talks about <clears throat> mindfulness, emotional intelligence. When, when I uh, was first started seeing emotional intelligence more frequently, someone asked me, so you know what I do in the operating rooms and everything else. So I, I came back and I said, okay, the reason why we need emotional intelligence, <laughs> you're like, why is that? I said, because we need to have empathy when we program these computers so they won't kill us. <laughs> and joking aside, that's nope. true, but we need to make sure that we have empathy because when machine learning and AI all comes in, they don't know compassion, we do. That's the other great buzzword, empathy. We're struggling teaching children empathy. Mm. You know, I listed all those things that have gone up. One of the causes was bullying because you got suicide, suicidal ideation. Why do you have more? Bullying. Where are children learning to bully? Well, they might learn at school, but unless parents are mindful of what's going on and right. taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. So, empathy. Uh, and that's why Gary Vaynerchuk is very big. He talks about empathy constantly. Yeah. Well, he, he has his wine company now called Empathy. Right. right. So, good, yeah. good marketing tool. Right. I'm no <laughs> businessman, but that's critical and that's what's been missing. Right. And with technology, teaching empathy is a very tricky thing. Yeah, yeah. Parents saying no is the critical part. When a parent says no, the parenting philosophy that I understood because this is what my mother basically had learned. You say yes to what's reasonable, you say no to what's unreasonable. Mm -hmm. And if the parents are in collusion over that, it's going to work out really well. I, I would argue that that my parents did very well. I knew I couldn't go around one or the other. There was right. no circumventing one and playing one against the other. It was not going to happen. Right. That's what's missing. And so, there's not enough reinforcement. You're seeing children are growing up in a society where they're not being reinforced because everybody's not wanting to hear what they need to. Right. The parent who says, this is the way we're going to raise these kids, they're going to be independent. So, we we're talking earlier about failure to launch. Yeah. So, in the last couple of years, we had, there was the Newsweek cover with the woman breastfeeding her eight-year-old or nine-year-old. The seminal moment in parenting is first, toilet training. Breastfeeding, well, we can differ on that. That's Bre a long time. Yeah. But maybe it's just atypical for the states, who knows? So, what happens is toilet training has even very often gone longer. You know, you'll hear parents say things like, well, when he's ready. What if he's 17? <laughs> We're going to have a problem. Children who can speak holding on to pacifiers too long. If a child can speak, developmentally speaking, putting a pacifier in their mouth is not a great idea. 
these are, you know, simple developmental milestones that don't seem like much. They're really important. Oh, yeah. Because you're setting the tone. It's the parent that you're in charge mm -hmm. and the child knows. Again, we are we going to leave the children, let them handle your IRA? No. There's a reason because they don't have judgment. Their brains are barely developed. Right, right, right. Right. Where did I hear that first? That, that, going back to that segment we said earlier about 25, like the, the brain really isn't ready. It's not cooked until at least 25 years old. No. And if a child's doing drugs in their teenage years and the drug's strong, it's affecting so many things. Yeah. Why is it people don't want to hear that? I have an interesting sort of setup in that if people follow my advice, I'm going to make less money. They, they don't want to hear it. I've said that if, you know, weed's becoming legal, there's going to be more cases. So I'm not saying when I'm for or against legalization. I have a question on that yeah. though. So, let me ask you this. Go ahead. Joe Rogan, you know, I do like his podcast and I don't listen to him all the time. Yeah. I don't have much time as it is, but he talks about DMT a lot, just through random. Um, what I'm not doing is I'm not watching news anymore for the most part. I, if I hear a glimpse of it about what's going on in the world a little bit, it's just enough. So, it kind of keep me, what's happening? Do I need to go to the mountains or do I just walk outside when the bombs go off. Right. That, that type of thing, right? Typical Tuesday. Typical <laughs> Tuesday, right. When I'm looking at Joe Rogan, he talks about DMT, but then I found this this great series on Netflix called Brain Series or something to that effect. I forget, I'll have to look it up real fast, but they talked about some positive effects with controlled dosing of DMT, which is a psychoanalytic drug, and that people who had high anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts, that they were snapping out of it with a single dose that lasted months. Have you heard about anything about that? I, I have. I think it's, again, the same thing that- And it's all natural too, supposedly. There are things that can help. There's a difference between an adult who's got a developed brain and one who hasn't. There's risks involved. You know, they're just beginning to studying it. And, you know, to take Joe Rogan as an example, well, he's not average. Right. There's nothing average about that guy. And he's able, because of his mindset, he takes unbelievable risks too that most people can't. Mm -hmm. People are going to look for that thing very often that, well, if I do this, you know, because they want that fix. I'm not saying that those things couldn't work. I, I wouldn't. I think what people don't understand is there are some therapeutic things that they need to be talking about because you have to understand what actually causes the anxiety. What was the etiology? Where did it really come from? I think what you're going to see more of the next 10 years, I believe, is you're going to see more like that where, again, they're talking about certain psychotropics to deal with yep. uh, anxiety, trauma, uh, mushrooms, LSD, and in controlled, yeah, yeah. controlled doses. Controlled doses. Yeah. I think you're going to see more of that. And I'm not saying it's going to be good or bad, but I believe because of the mindset that people have, yeah. that's where it's going to go. Well, the thing was that it identified was this wasn't today it's atypical 50 years ago 40 years ago and then before it was common that was the drug choice sure for the treatment plans that they were it was this was the protocol right and then why it went away who I don't, who no one knows and the government banned it that was it i'm like okay it is what it is but i don't really understand why now it's starting to come and be reintroduced maybe it's being monetized correctly maybe it's not i have no idea probably, probably. there's probably a little of that this whole idea of, you know, the use of nutraceuticals, using, again, marijuana as a medicine, cannabis, you know, yeah. I should really say more so, THC. I think you're going to see more of that. 
and again, we are in a much more liberal state than we were 20, 30 years oh, ago. Yeah. Yeah, so sure. I think, and again, when people say they'd rather medicate than do therapy, I mean, I get it. I mean, I'm not going to chide them over it. I get it. That's the mindset that many people get. Why do they have it? They probably watched it growing up. Yeah. You said something to me. That it, I had to write it down right away, but suicidal ideation. Why? Why has it gone up so much? Why in the teen age group has it gone up so much? Because that's a big deal. And it's in the thought process of someone hurting themselves. I don't even like listening to stories about that because I'm like, Whoa. it's just stuff I don't need filtered going through my brain and nor do I want my kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this is coming into my head. I'm sure I have the factor into this, but when we talk to our girls and we talk to Michelle talks to them a lot. I talk to them a lot. Uh, she talks to them more than I do. And one of the things she does really well is she makes sure that she drives them to school in the morning because that's their talk time. Mm-hmm. Connection. Yeah. It's connection time. And I sometimes forget, I'm like, Oh, why are they taking the bus? And she's like, God, that's my first time I get to talk to them. I'm like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. All day. When we talk to them and they talk about their friends who have parents who are divorced or separated, it's a lot. A lot of kids are in that. Does that have something to do with it? Do the kids take that burden on? I mean, what what's the high incidence for kids wanting to hurt themselves? It doesn't always have to be suicidal, but they're cutting themselves. Self-harm. More incidents of, let's say, borderline personality disorder, self-harming, suicidal ideation. I think there's a greater percentage that they are disconnected. Nobody's talking. So you could have a family where there's two parents at home that never spoke. They, they don't connect. The child seems to very often be disconnected because nobody's talking about what's really going on. Children are attached, very often attached to their phones. They're not grounded. They don't have a sense of themselves. They hear things and it's not put in context by parents very often. So when we were growing up, if we ever said we wanted to kill ourselves, chances are we would have been not only reprimanded, we would have been grounded. I don't mean punished, but grounded in terms of, do you understand what you're really saying? Yeah. Or going to be seen by a priest. Right. Right. <laughs> they use these words, but they're not connected to it. That's the problem that a lot of parents are struggling with right now. Yeah, I can see that. Does social media have a connection to it? Sure. Mm-hmm. If you're, again, you speak to your children your wife speaks to them. You guys talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's not what's going on in households. So the divorce rate, let's say it's 50, 60%. I'm going to say that that's misleading. I believe the rate is higher if you consider there are lots of people who ought to get divorced technically yeah. and won't. The child takes that on right? because they think whether you say it or not, <clears throat> they believe it's their fault. In some recess of their brain, they think they're responsible. They've taken on that burden. Why do you think that is? Because you hear that a lot. Kids are on the burden. They think it's their fault. Or I'm sure at some point they were arguing over the child by taking them to a practice or to a school. There was too much activity on top of their work-life balance. And again, I said earlier, the reason why Michelle is home is because we decided together that it was better for her to be home. Mm -hmm. So I can go out and kick ass Mm -hmm. and do what I do. Yep. And she can be here and she can kick ass and does what she does. Right. And then we, when we come home, we meet in the middle. But I will say for the first time ever, she told me back in June, right after the kids were out of school last year, uh, my oldest daughter is now a freshman in high school. She said, this upcoming year is going to be tough. And I'm like, oh, no, we'll get there. We always do. We always come out on top of it. We're always good. We're, you know, we're, we call ourselves Team Burgess. We're good. 
Let me tell you something. It's tough. That woman was right. 101%. The balance of, I mean, you saw right here, hey, can you get, you know, Angie by by 8.30? And right. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. but that was a pop-up. I had no idea. Right. There was a movie that they wanted to all go see. Pop-up. Another one. But those are the different things that are happening on a day-to-day basis. Our Mondays and Wednesdays, for example, are crazy. Mm-hmm. When you're down and speaking with parents and, and children that are in that environment or they're separated, or I can see where that would affect them. The child innately feels off. So in a, in a separated or divorced home, let's yeah. just say, they're confused. They're conflicted. Mm-hmm. There's, there's shame involved in it. I'm not saying they should have it, but it's a reality of what they go through. When parents communicate well, it's usually a good outcome, but too often it doesn't happen. If the parents aren't agreeing about how the child's going to be handled, the child picks that up. They're just emotional sponges. They haven't developed all their apparatus to necessarily feel good about themselves. Hmm. That's where we see a lot of problems. Right, right. So, getting the parents to sort of take a look at what they're doing and how they're communicating, whether they're together or not, because you can be in the same household and do it wrong. Right. You can be in separate households and do it right. I've seen that. Right. Where I've almost been like, why'd you two get divorced? You're working so well together. Random thought. <clears throat> yeah. Let me have, let me ask you this question. So, told you about my experience. You've also identified that experience where I go back and I, I talk to that little boy and I'm like, hey, it's, everything's cool. Everything's good. Like, you can move past it. So, if a child experienced a traumatic event with the parents or witnessed something that they now hold shame against themselves... If a parent was to get them when they were young, just use myself as an example here, let's say something traumatic uh, was seen by my kid and I was just yelling or something like that. And I went over to him a day later to go, look, it wasn't your fault. It's not your fault. Does that close the door for him right then and there? I don't know if it closes the door, <clears throat> but it certainly helps validate them. Part of the therapeutic process is typically to get some form of validation Yeah, because you're obviously not validating yourself because mm-hmm. if you can do that really well – it's relative to the type of work or how much work you have to right. do. If a parent puts things in context, that's very critical for a child's development. Yeah. Because again, you know, a parents could have a fight. It doesn't mean it's going to ruin the child's life. But if parents can own their behavior in some fashion and make the child feel safe and validated, they're going to have less hurt, less shame. There's no perfect situation. Yeah. Parents who are mindful of their own behaviors tend to do better. Three words. So, we were told that as long as your kids are seen, felt, hugs, motion, and heard, that's all they need. Uh, it's, I mean, that's pretty validated. Yeah. I, I think of you know, the guy that I, I've worked with in California, I'll call him a healer for lack of a better term. Sure. Present-centered and protected was the, the word, some of the words he gave me. Mm. So, yours are great. I think those are cornerstones of parenting because that means you actually are present. It means you're mindful. It means you're engaged. And that's what a parent has to do. Right. Too often for the last 20 years, that's been missing from families. So, leading into the end of this, you're coming back, by the way. Sorry. You have no way out. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> you're coming back. Awesome. I have some other stuff here that we want. I want to go through. Sure. Failure to launch is one of them, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to deep dive into that. Okay. I don't want to take too much of this conversation on the suicide note, but it's something that- That's important. I want to flush out because it's a real big topic. And it's not just it's a big topic, but I feel like a lot of people don't want to talk about it or are afraid. And the reason why I think that is because when 13 pages or 13 something on Netflix, it was this big, but I mean, they're talking about it. 
yes, they dramatized it a little bit. Sure. They made a cinematic. It's good TV. Right. It's at least addressing some points and bringing things out to the forefront. So I want to bring that back up as well. Okay. You're a working professional. You have a very busy schedule. Uh, you said it yourself on how many times you have a 401k because of all the different things that are going on. <laughs> it's my running joke. Con- continuous. Yeah. But what are you reading for a book or what podcast you listen to? How are you keeping your, your brain active and learning and developing? Great questions. Podcasts. Certainly listen to Rich Roll. I find him fascinating. Yeah. I, I've read Do you Finding watch him Ultra. with David Goggins? I not only watched, listen to it, it's basically almost required listening and reading working with me. Really? Yeah. I'm very big. I, I know what I know, but I'm not there all the time either. Mm-hmm. I want my clients to really work at themselves and grow. I so, found that all the podcasts that Goggins did, his was by far the best. Powerful dude. Everyone else was, I want to say it was fluff, but it was very surface level. Because you had heard that story over and over and over, and then he went to roll, and he went in. He goes and deep. He, and he got some stuff that I never heard before. I was like, whoa. Yeah. It was equivalent, if not better, than the book. He's a fascinating character, to say the least. What he does talk about, which I find is amazing, is he talks about his pain. He talks about, actually, the trauma that he endured. Right. And I think that shows a lot of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Anything with him, certainly. So, Rich Rolls is one that I've listened to. I've listened to Ed Milet a bunch of times, especially with uh, Jesse Itzler. Yeah, I I listened to that one. Thank you for that, by the way. The one thing I got out of that, when you choose to put something in your body, he goes, it has to be pure energy. Yes. That was it. He goes, nothing goes in his body before noon unless it is absolute pure energy. My understanding is he only eats fruit up till noon. Up to noon, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually went to summer camp with him when I was about 13, 14 years old. Oh, really? Wow. We, we were actually teammates. I, I'm actually not shocked that this is who he became. Really? He was confident but not cocky. Nice kid. Yeah. But you listen to him. He's emotional intelligence. Right. There was a ton of it. Anything with Brene Brown, my, I make my clients basically read Daring Greatly, Finding Ultra, anything with Tony Horton. Uh, the P90X guy yep. who I've worked out with, um, who's awesome. I can tell you a story about that one. Pu- pushed me to my limits uh, when I worked out with him and a bunch of his buddies. So kicked my butt. P90X, uh, I'll show you so you can actually see it. We were in Northeastern. My wife and I both graduated there. We had to put together a business plan. She was in master's degree for business school. And we developed a program called Chaos. Chaos was P90X. Financial plans, everything done. Kids, we just submitted it. We didn't really know. I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, I will show you when we're done. I mean, everything was done. And I remember telling Michelle, I said, I just want people to walk in, get the best work out of their life and leave. Mm-hmm. Just show up. That's yeah. all they want. And that's exactly what show they up, did. Show up and do it. Show yeah. up and do it. You know, yeah. so it's, it's, it's phenomenal, phenomenal workouts. I, Brene Brown, we're talking about vulnerability and shame. I, I don't know that. Who's that? Brene Brown is probably got one of the most popular TED Talks anywhere. Mm-hmm. She's a researcher out of, I think, University of Texas, Austin, social worker by trade, but she really coined the work in terms of vulnerability and shame. The book that she's most famous for, I think, is Daring Greatly. So that's definitely one that I have clients read consistently. She's been on Oprah. She's just on Lewis Howes. 
So those are some of the some of the ones I listen to. Things with Shalene uh, Johnson, who's uh, another person who works with Beachbody, great entrepreneur. Gary Vaynerchuk. Anything that talks about willingness, mindset. Very often a story that goes from I don't want to say rags to riches, mm-hmm. but someone really going through their own stuff and really having to look at themselves. Those are the things that come up a lot that I always want. I want clients to have a very good view of gratitude mm-hmm. because they're usually lacking it. Sure. Then they're not focused and they don't appreciate what they've got and then they wonder why they're not moving forward. Yeah. And getting them into that mindset where they're willing to challenge their own BS. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, whatever the modality somebody goes into therapeutically, they got to challenge their own crap. I have to buy something for the studio, but uh, I need an accountability mirror. They're, they're good. Because Goggins talked all about it. Uh, I love his stuff. If you actually sit there, I never had really done this before until I watched that, but I don't do it all the time. It's like a down moment. And you said, yeah, I can do it. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to change the world today. I'm going to make a positive effect in that person's life. If you tell yourself over and over and over, I mean, that works gonna all the time. It's oh, my gosh. It the, just- and the opposite is true. People want to you know, debunk that idea that that stuff works. Right. But if you did the opposite, it would work. Yeah. It wouldn't be positive, but right. it would work. Yeah. And people are doing it. The litmus test there is if you had a friend – and they talked negatively about themselves, you would always step in and tell them to stop. And that's how you know that it works in the opposite direction from the positive. And people have to do that because the, the message that they've had playing for so long mm-hmm. is, again, almost like a traumatic response, telling themselves they suck, et cetera, you're worthless. You got to be your own coach until you get you get it right. Right. I think it's critical mm-hmm. and that people are you know missing it. So, the last question – Famous question. If you heard the podcast, the final word is yours. Final word is mine. Wow. I think people need to be able to seek professional help and challenge themselves. I would hope anything that people do is they challenge themselves to go get help. Understanding it's okay if you have problems. Everybody's got them. Everybody's got baggage. We've seen a, a rash of suicides, particularly famous people in the last couple of years. We have, yeah. You know, Anthony Bourdain is sort of the one that stands out to me the most. Um, Kate Spade was the same year, but yep. Anthony Bourdain, look what he went through. Look what he became. And despite, quote, having it all, something was a mess. The one that I remember the most, uh, just because I loved him and his voice, was Chris Cornell. Sure. Oh my gosh. When I heard that, I was like, oh. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but if you've ever heard his original take on Ave Maria. I've not heard it. Oh, my word. It is unbelievable. I mean, anyone who's listening to this right now, look up Chris Cannell, Ave Maria. It's the best version I've ever heard, period. It's that good. I'll, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. I mean, it when you leave, this, the, the you feel like there's something missing. It, it's that this engulfing. Oh, it's, Incredible. It's, it's fantastic. It really uh, now is. I got to listen to it. Yeah. You know, people seek professional help and get rid of the stigma, help themselves. And yeah. it'll connect, it connects people more. You want to stay connected. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I really do. So, you're coming back. Uh, I'm in. You're local here. Uh, for everyone who doesn't know, Jason was more than willing to come over to the studio. So, we're sitting here live, sitting across. Uh, I had a fantastic time. I learned an incredible amount. Uh, when I'm quiet, I'm just learning. And you saw me taking notes. I was like, Sponging I mean, it. Yeah, I'm just awesome. d- digging it in, digging it in. I hope everyone gets 
out of this podcast, what I've gotten from it, certainly, it was amazing, amazing. And I really do believe that people do need to go out there and actually ask for help, not to be shameful, not to be embarrassed, not to worry about what their parents think, which is kind of funny that you bring that up because Gary Vee talks about that a lot. Yes, he does. Don't talk, don't worry about what your parents, don't talk about what your parents do. It just get away from that, you know, and I can see that. I can definitely see that. Check out Jason. He said you can find him anywhere with Jason Eric Ross on social. I'm the only one. He's the only one out there. So we'll put all the tags and just make it easy for on the podcast notes. But uh, it was a pleasure having you over here. This is Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the continuation of episode number 25 and episode number 26 with Jason Eric Ross. I really appreciate Jason taking the time to have joined us and bringing so much value and shedding some light on psychotherapy here on Healthcare 360. Please connect with Jason on social media by searching Jason Eric Ross on any platform or by visiting jasonericross.com. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoy the conversation, please share this podcast and give us a review. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you enjoy listening. If you want the conversation to continue, you can find us on Twitter at hc360podcast or healthcare360podcast.com. If you would like to have a conversation or discuss the topic option on Healthcare 360, please look for the calendar link at the podcast notes below and let's set up a time to talk. I hope this conversation empowers and educates HC360 Nation's best and brightest, and I look forward to building our relationship. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess. And from all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, see you next time.